I was going to talk about desire today um, and how it's maligned in some traditions um, and presented as uh, an obstacle or a blockage to becoming awakened, becoming self-realized. But something happened a couple days ago that uh, really changed my mind. So I'd like to talk about something entirely different and save that for another time. <laughs> um, just to rewind a bit, uh, about a year and a half ago, on a really nice July morning, I woke up and the window was open and birds were singing outside and it was just and I, I just lay there listening to the, the birds singing, I was lying on my back. And then I opened my eyes, and I don't know whether any of you know what floaters are, but those little black things that float around in your eyeball. Well, there was a major floater, <laughs> and it was uh, geometrical. It was a rectangle with a circle in the middle, and the circle was touching the two narrow edges. And for the life of me, I couldn't figure out what the heck it was. And so I'm lying there looking at this thing. And then I, I focused on the, the light in the ceiling. And I could see it out of my left eye, but this floater was in the way of the right eye, and everything was blurry. And I put my hand up, and my hand was blurry. And I thought, this is really weird. What could it be? And then it dawned on me that uh, a lens that had replaced a cataract a dozen years before had come loose, had fallen out of its position, and was now lying against my retina in the back of my eye. And, and I sat up, and it floated up to the top. Of course, there was gravity pulling it to the bottom, because when light comes in your eye, it's flipped, right? So you see everything is right side up, because we're used to it, but, but as it registers on the retina, it's upside down. Anyway, uh, not important. That was really interesting. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me, it was, it was a bit of a, an inconvenience, but not much. Um, I've had a lot more serious vision problems, I don't know card-carrying member of the CNIB, and I used a white cane for a few years. So it wasn't a big deal. And I knew that, that it would require surgery to fix it, so I wasn't in a big rush to have surgery. And I've had a lot of surgery with car and motorcycle accidents and other things, and detached retinas and cataracts and that stuff. So I just let it go, and it didn't bother me at all. I mean, I couldn't see very well out of this eye, but that was okay. And then last November, uh, my doctor's office phoned me and said I hadn't been for a few years and that he'd like to see me for a checkup, just to give me an overhaul. And so I went in and he asked if, if I had anything interesting happening over the time that we hadn't seen each other, and I mentioned the lens. And he said, well, you better go get that checked out to an ophthalmologist because you don't want it to be doing damage that would show up down the road, right? So, 
So that seemed reasonable to me. So okay. And he made an appointment with me with a, an ophthalmologist in Oakville. And I went to the fellow and, and he looked at it and, and said, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And I actually, I had drawn a picture of it on my computer and showed him the picture. He said, that's what I'm seeing. And, but his problem was he, he dealt with cataracts to the front of the eye that wasn't his specialty to go to the back of the eye. So he made an appointment for me through an ophthalmologist here in Toronto. And so I went uh, in the middle of January. And, and the fellow was, uh, to, to see, to see get, they, have a, they have a scope that they look in your eye and to see your retina. But if they really want to look around and see what's in there, they put this magnifying glass on your eyeball and then move it around so that they can see what's going on. And I guess he wanted to see why it came detached, the, the lens. And it was a little uncomfortable, but that was a big deal. And the, the thing was that it, it stayed uncomfortable and actually increased. So it started to be a little painful, and that's not a big deal. And the next day, my eye was all swollen and inflamed, and, and I thought, well, that's just a reaction, and it would go away. And the day after that, it was worse, so I called the, the ophthalmologist's office. And, uh, he said, well, go to an optometrist. It sounds like you've got an infection, so go to an optometrist and get some antibiotics and then call me back. So, okay, I, I went to an optometrist in Oakville. He said, it looks traumatized. It doesn't look like there's a bacterial infection, but it might be a viral infection. But your immune system would take care of that, so he gave me some anti-inflammatories. And I did that for a week, two weeks. And one day it was just, it didn't change, but this one day I woke up and it was quite a bit worse. So I, I went to the walk-in clinic and the doctor took one look at it and gave me a prescription for, for antibiotics. And so I took those. And that didn't change much. So I called the ophthalmologist in Toronto and they said, well, and they'd scheduled they scheduled the surgery for the 15th, and then it was moved forward to the 8th of March. And they said, well, let's leave the surgery for a while until your eyes better. And so that was, that was all fine. And the reason that I'm telling you all of this gory detail stuff <laughs> is because I have a friend who saw me just after when my eye became inflamed originally, and she was quite upset and very concerned. And she checked in on me like a couple times a week and it wasn't getting better. And I guess she, she'd been suppressing her feelings about it um, and just been concerned. And then on Thursday, she said, aren't you going to a lawyer? I said, what? You know, this, this monster doesn't deserve to have a license. You should have this license revoked. You need to go to the, the college of, of physicians and surgeons and all that. And, and she was very upset. And she said, aren't you angry? And I said, well, no. Um, she said, why not? <laughs> and I said, because I choose not to be a victim. Right? That, that if I 
blame, then I make myself a victim. And I have no need to do that. And she couldn't understand. And clearly, um, she had a, a, an unconscious victim orientation in her life and needed to be in control of everything and everybody, including what I was experiencing. So that's all right. Um, but but that, that brought to mind what really is happening with us. And, I mean, the, the reason that, that I really thought to talk about this was that, I mean, with, with Me Too and uh, the, the Florida school shootings and the murders of the gay community here and, and the murdered and, and, and missing indigenous women and girls and people all around the world, it's, it's constantly there in awareness. And people are oriented to being victims. And it, it seems to me that, that being a victim, if we accept that, it defines us. It limits our possibilities. We're, we're, we relate to the world in a particular way. And it isn't a terribly good thing. Um, I can, I can empathize and feel compassion for people who have gone through dreadful experiences. And, and this world seems to <laughs> bestow on us all kinds of uh, injury and insults. Uh, but we can have our power with it and grow with it. And that's what stress does. <coughs> We, we, can, we can be stressed to a certain degree and, and we get stronger by the stress. If, it, if we go past that, if we go beyond that, then it, it distorts us. And if, if we accept that we're victims, we've gone past that point. But it's, it's our choice. And actually, the, the, my friend, one of the things that she constantly comes back to um, when people say they have addictions or people complain about, you know, other people. She said, it's your choice. Choices. Everybody has choice in everything. But apparently she didn't have a choice to understand that I didn't need to be a victim. Um, but, but that's there for all of us. And if we're a victim, then we're limited in all kinds of ways. Our ability to respond to every moment is restricted. Right? We're looking at the world to be victimized again by something, someone, somehow. You know? And in every experience there are all kinds of, of elements that could be the cause of our feelings. Um, the car that hits us, the, the, the inattention of the driver of the car, so the driver's bad, um, did it to us. Uh, you know, the, there are all kinds of bully in the schoolyard, the, the, the spouse that is uh, not, not paying attention to our needs, you know, just all kinds of things. 
and it's there. Uh, it's real. But our, our ability to respond is the thing that determines whether it's eustress, which is the good stress, or distress. Whether, whether we're the victim or whether we're in our power. Does, does, can anybody define the difference between being a victim and being in your power? I think the, the easiest um, way is that if you're in your power, you have choices. If you're a victim, someone or something has made the choices for you. You don't have a choice yourself. And that's, that's really important <coughs> if we're going to live our lives fully. Um, has everybody heard of the Invictus Games? Uh, Prince Harry created a foundation that has created these games all over the world for uh, military people who have been injured or become ill from participating <coughs> in protecting the people at home. And. Um, it's, it's fascinating, like there's some of the people that have, have had you know, loss of limbs and, and you know, PSTD and things like that. And this isn't close, well, there we go. Um, one of them, uh, this, this is a quote from one, one of the, the people, and, and there, there haven't been any interviews with anybody I've heard that's participated in the victims' games who said they were victims. This one fellow said, up until my awareness of the Invictus games, all I had been doing was living mem in memories. In my mind, my life has been over, my life has been over, and I was just waiting to be done because I'm not capable of doing or living like I used to. I'm starting to think, however, that my game has just begun. And he'd lost his legs in a landmine explosion. So, that's an orientation. I mean, that is big distress, right? But changing the orientation is what gives us choice, what gives us our power back. And, and we can do that anytime if we're conscious. And being conscious of the possibilities is the important thing. I mean, meditation, uh, presumably the reason you come here is that you like to meditate, want to meditate. Um, whether you meditate at home or here or where, doesn't matter. But what happens when you meditate, as time passes, is you become aware that you're not your experience. You're the experiencer. Right? So thoughts and emotions and sensations just come and go as you sit and meditate. You can get caught up in them, but there are times when you just are watching and come and go because you're the experiencer. And in fact, you can't have experience 
without you being there. You have to be conscious to have experience. And it's the consciousness that doesn't change. So, yes? Um, I just wanted to ask, but there's no shame in um, recognizing that you do experience hardship, right? Absolutely not. And I agree with that completely. Um, I think that uh, there are vulnerable people and uh, we need to protect them. Uh, justice needs to be done to perpetrators. Um, and it's really, really important that we take care of that. But we can do it from the point of view of being a victim or we can do it from the point of view of being in our power. And it's that, that sense of self that's the important thing. In terms of survival, it's the sense of self that is the dominant part of the experience. And if we don't have that, then, then we're defined by whatever is happening to us. And there are people, I work as a psychotherapist, and there are people who, who have lived their lives structured by what happened to them in the past. And that's like a physical injury, it needs healing so that the person can be whole again. And if, that, if they're not whole again, then they're, they're perpetually being a victim. And it's being victimized over and over again every time they see a potential abuser, right? whether the person is there. Yes. recognize the pain, to recognize the pain that the person went through from that experience but, and, and from your own experience, um, but for me to not take on a label of being victim. I am in pain, I have experienced pain, that is true, but I don't have to be a victim. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's both mindsets of, yes, it is real, it is something that happened, but I don't have to define myself in terms. I didn't make that distinction. Yeah, and that's that, that's my that's yeah. what I thought. Yeah. Thank you. So so that's what I'm saying, right? That's that's the whole point of, of talking about this is that we do have choice. Uh, if we're conscious, if we don't know 
that, that there are other ways of being, then we're just victims of that too. So when we meditate, we're, we're enlivening that. It's, it's a process, it's a learning process, a process that continues. And whatever's happened to us in our lives, we need to own it. It needs to be ours. And if it's, if it's a distortion, it needs to be healed. Yeah. Right? If it's continuing pain, that needs to be taken care of. But the meditation is a foundational exercise that you can do to help with that. I think we all can have choice. We all can be conscious. And we can choose.